If you've been listening to me for a long time, you know that I am no fan of CBC. But even I will admit that there are reporters there who do good work. People like David Common is someone that I generally, I'm not going to agree with everything he reports on, but he's generally a uh, old-fashioned, pretty straightforward reporter. He's going to hit you with the facts. So it was a bit surprising when I started seeing tweets over the weekend from my friend John Gormley, who hosts radio uh, show across Saskatchewan. I was going to say Saskatoon, but it's across the whole province, John. And I started seeing you tweet out on this story CBC did on Gerald Stanley and Colton Bushy. And we've talked about the Gerald Stanley case here. Of course, it's been news across the country. Our prime minister's even said he's going to change the just, uh, justice system based off of this. But you noticed a problem with the story that aired last Tuesday on The National and The World at Six. And you said, hold on, that's wrong. But it took until you exposed it on the radio today to get CBC to back down. And, and since you went on air and just before we went on air, they've acknowledged that there's a bunch of mistakes in their report, but they're standing by the rest of it. Yeah, ironically, uh, the, the story is headlined, RCMP sloppy and negligent in investigating Colton Bushy's death. <laughs> so I think we're now seeing it. CBC is negligent and sloppy in reporting on Colton Bushy's death. Um, you know, this uh, we live right in the epicenter here, and the entire narrative of the CBC from the beginning is blameless, innocent, young indigenous victim shot dead by white racist rancher. Now, you don't even need to have carefully followed the trial to have known that young Colton was part of a group of people who were in the middle of a crime spree. They had broken into another farm just down the road, about 10, 12K. They had a loaded gun with them. Uh, the driver admitted he'd had 30 shots of alcohol. 30 that started, shots. That he started drinking that morning at Colton's grandmother's house. Now, tomorrow I'm actually going to unveil more on this that also came out at trial that none of the media have reported because it was in a voir dire uh, about the origins of that alcohol, which is really stunning, but I don't want to scoop myself because I'm okay. doing my show tomorrow. But So I'm reading the David Common story, and unlike you, I don't know David Common. been around forever in the CBC. And the story's all about the RCMP really dropping the ball. Well, I hang out with a number of pretty prominent criminal defense lawyers who from the beginning have said the CBC obsession and Chris Murphy, this Toronto lawyer acting for the Bushy family, about uh, blood spatter evidence and, you know, the entire SUV should have been tarped off and maybe even hauled away to Edmonton, they'll run entire murder trials on high-def photography on blood spatter evidence because it is what it is. Uh, I was talking to one defense lawyer who uh, won a case, uh, and then he lost another case, both with blood spatters in a bathroom. You know, and they take very detailed photographs, and experts on both sides, defense and crown, can analyze this. So a number of members of the defense bar have said this is a bit of a reach. But again, it plays into the narrative. Well, let, this let, is a racist RCMP, right? Let, let's talk about the narrative because, you know, uh, you're a lawyer by background. I went to yeah. school for broadcasting. But what we're told in the media, you don't bring race up unless it's central to the story. And if you look at the facts dispassionately, I don't think that race should be at the core of how this story is told. And yet it's constantly in the in the headlines, indigenous man killed by white farmer. Because this completely plays into the CBC narrative. 
and for that matter, you know, other national media as well. And, and I put this to a reporter the other day who was questioning me on this, and I said, in the 90 seconds to two minutes, the entire tragedy plays out. An SUV with a muffler broken dangling comes screaming up a driveway, uh, heading toward my son who's working on a fence. My son slaps the windshield with a hammer and says, get out of here, because he sees a guy jump out of it wearing a hoodie, rummaging through a vehicle looking for the keys. Another guy jumps out and heads to the shop. At the same time, a quad starts up. So you've got this group of people with hoodies. I'm not sure at that point I'm looking at their skin color. I'm looking at a bunch of guys trying to rob me. Bingo. And then all of a sudden the vehicle backs up and crashes into my wife's SUV, and my wife was there a moment ago on a tractor. I look over and she's off the tractor. And the thought that Gerald Stanley testifies was, quote, pure terror because I thought they backed over my wife. So he's got this gun. He shoots it twice in the air. He walks over. The vehicle is somebody's got their foot on the gas. It's redlining, but it's, it's stuck. He leans over to turn it off, and he has to push a gun barrel aside. And then the gun goes off into Colton Bushy's When head. you say he has to push a gun barrel aside, you mean the gun in the car, the rifle in the car. Yes, there's a rifle sticking out of the window. And he actually moves the rifle barrel aside, leans over. Now, whether or not the gun goes off by this hang fire, which was the defense theory, whether it was an involuntary movement by him, that doesn't matter. Because now the jury, of course, was convinced the Crown hadn't disproved accidents. So really, that's the nature of the case. And, and again, if you, as exactly as you said about the, the journalistic principles, would it matter if there were five Scandinavian kids in this vehicle trying to rob somebody's farm? It's moving so quickly. They're all wearing hoodies. Uh, this man responds the way he did. Let's talk about the, what I say are absolute lies yes. that CBC has in this. There, okay, there David, were two, and, and I want to read the exact quote from the original story in one of them. Okay. And look, I just listened to your SoundCloud today in crib notes. But uh, you detailed it well, and if anyone wants to hear John's full broadcasting is much more entertaining than I am, you can find it up at brianlilly.com. But the quote is from the original story, after being taken into custody on August 9th, 2016, Gerald Stanley was photographed at the nearest RCMP detachment, but was released shortly after and allowed to return the following day to file his statement. And they also said, quote, the RCMP never sees Stanley's clothes. Now, this story has all kinds of experts talking about how horrible this is, that this is bad police practice, that this would be sloppy and negligent. And if it were true, John, I would agree. Absolutely. But neither of those are true. Yeah, Michael Davis, the homicide investigator, says to the CBC, quote, you're telling me he was released? You know, that's not much of an investigation. But see, sadly, and I hope I'm not pulling back too strong a bow here, this has got a very ugly underbelly to it, Brian. Good old boy Mounties, right? Pat the rancher on the back and say, you know, you've just been accused of murder. Oh, go home, you know, and come back when you can make it to give a statement. Well, here's what we refute this. There was an evidentiary hearing before the trial began back in December. And this is where the Crown and the defense are arguing certain things should be admitted or they shouldn't be. Gerald Stanley was interrogated for over four hours so effectively by a Mountie that the defense moved to strike it all because they argued it was coercive. And interestingly, oh, no, no, no. It was just it was just a rookie cop. Bingo. It was a low level cop that he questioned him, didn't he? The, the that's, that's what CBC story, told me. 
Yes, the CBC says, Chris Murphy says, it was some low-level constable. Well, this was a 12-year constable who, and, and one of the reasons he interrogated Stanley for four hours is let's now go to the judge's written decision. On August the 9th, Stanley was detained for murder. Four minutes later, six minutes later, he was arrested for murder at his residence. He was taken to the bigger RCMP detachment where he was lodged in cells. That evening, he consulted legal counsel twice. At 2.09 the next morning, August 10th, RCMP officers awakened Stanley to take swabs of his hands and to seize his clothing. So So they didn't let him go home to come back. They didn't let him keep his clothes. And and those would be the, you know, if they did, those would be the sloppy, negligent things. But this is in a court document that the Crown, the defense, and the The judge judge all agreed to? Absolutely. And this was heard back on December the 13th. Now, it was subject to a media ban until the jury went to reach its verdict. But this was an available document um, for the last number of weeks, for over a month. So, So the CBC in the face of this document, proceeds with, and I mean, we laugh about this term all the time because many people interpret it differently, but Brian, this is literally by CBC fake news because the document completely refutes it. So then this morning, the CBC starts to gradually walk back. Ready for this? A previous version of the story said that after first arresting Stanley, the RCMP released him from custody prior to taking a statement. One of our sources for that information is no longer certain this is accurate. Because it was a lie. It was a complete lie. So the CBC ran that disclaimer today, and then late this afternoon, just as they were all heading home at CBC Toronto, uh, the uh, formal uh, version came out where they walked away from both this and the wow. clothing issue, and they say there's no indication the RCMP ever seized Stanley's clothes. Um, in fact, they did seize the clothing he was wearing at the time of the shooting. So, John, I, uh, just so people know, when you say late in the day, um, I've been a thorn in their side for a long time. Uh, but, you know, in, in fairness to Chuck Thompson, who's their media relations guy, you know, uh, always fairly professional, very professional with me. But he, he emailed me because I was already writing about this after seeing your tweets and, and listening to that, that segment of your show today. Uh, he, uh, he emailed me at 4.58. It's the classic bureaucrat, dump it and go home. And that, that's what they did. Uh, they did say that there's going to be retraction. But these retractions, I mean, th- this story had follow-on story after follow-on story all last week. It had politicians commenting on it. They're not going to comment on the retractions. They're not going to comment on the correction. And CBC still standing by all those comments they got from the so-called experts saying how horrible this is. But those comments, I think the whole story should be gone. Those comments are based off of things that weren't true. Absolutely. And there, but again, there's a narrative here that in many ways, uh, I mean, let's put it this way. Chris Murphy, the Toronto lawyer who acts for the family, He's bound and determined and convinced this is all about racism. It's all about incompetent, um, in a sense, racist policing. Um, So Chris Murphy 
I don't know if he was the source, because, of course, the CBC wouldn't divulge it, but they're doing the work for the Bushy family and for Mr. Murphy. It's one thing for them to stand up and make these claims, and their claims have resulted now in the RCMP Civilian Complaints uh, Commission taking a look at it, but that's between the family and the activists and the police. I'm not sure there's a place in the middle for the CBC to be making stuff up that comports with that. Speaking with John Gormley, uh, radio broadcaster out of uh, Saskatoon, you can hear him across the province of Saskatchewan, and he broke the story this morning that CBC, uh, in fact, flat-out lies in their story that uh, tried to make this about race. John, I don't, I don't live in Saskatchewan. I never have. Uh, but I'm guessing that, like most parts of the country, yeah, there's some racists, but that's not most people. Uh, would that be incorrect, or are relations between uh, First Nations people and uh, the rest of the population so bad that Saskatchewan is a festering cesspool of racism and CBC's on to something? Well, if you take the, the position of the activists, uh, aided and abetted by the CBC, your uh, latter interpretation is it. The former interpretation, and I think the accurate one, and surely, I mean, anybody in Saskatchewan who believes that racism isn't an issue in a lot of difficult times, I think is deluding themselves. You know, we've had a history here of racism, but gosh, you look at some of the success, you look at high school, university, college completion rates of Indigenous students, you look at economic development, you look at a lot of good stuff that's happening, the activists always come back to that narrative. When, when I was this out, is racism and getting worse. When I was out uh, doing a profile on your premier in province a few years ago, met Chief Darcy Bear. Uh, just south of uh, Saskatoon, bragging to me about how he took his uh, reserve from huge unemployment to now he employs 500 people from the city who aren't First Nations in his businesses for the uh, the reserve. There are uh, problems and there are success stories, and I think the activists just want to look at the problems and drive. This is what really bothers me about this story is they are using it to drive a racial divide at a time when, you know, we're, we're – there's a professor at Trent today talking about how it's okay to be against whiteness. We've got uh, the school district in B.C. talking about all of this and teaching it to their children uh, that you only get to where you are in life because of your unacknowledged privilege. And guess where the professor from Trent uh, is from? Yeah, don't remind me. He's from uh, your University bizarre problem. I, th- I think all the craziness has to do with the fact that you people don't do daylight saving time. <laughs> But I'll tell you, you're absolutely right in terms of the level of activism. And in a time, you know, when reconciliation is an important national imperative and we're getting a lot of stuff right, it always goes back to try and unwind it. And again, the whole narrative of the Colton Bushy case, nobody believes a young man should die. But a young man who was in the position this guy was uh, on what amounted to a crime spree, uh, it was very sad that he died. But again, this was not an act motivated in the main by racism it was someone trying to defend their property and and their the lives of their family uh john good talking to you as always and you've already sold us for uh, listening tomorrow to find out what you're going to reveal next we will have some texts that came up uh, at the trial the judge didn't admit them because he thought they were way too prejudicial uh but you wouldn't believe what those texts said we'll talk about that tomorrow All right. Thank you very much. John Gormley, he is the host of Gormley, heard across Saskatchewan, joining us from Saskatoon tonight. Drop me a line, beyond the news at CFRA.com. I'm Brian Lilly. Stick around.